Happy Memorial Day weekend. I have a question to ask. Who's like wearing like their bathing suit, like under what they're wearing now and you're heading straight to the beach? Yes. All right. We had we had a few in the first service, too. Speaking of the beach, uh, a couple summers ago, I had the crazy idea. Why don't I get a bunch of teenagers and go to the beach for a week? And not just not just Miami Beach, but let's go to Daytona Beach. Some of you are thinking, Mark, you went with 40 teenagers to the beach. Are you crazy? Some say that I am. Um, but uh, I didn't go by myself. I, I usually, what I do leading up to, to youth camp is that all the adults that I know, I try to convince them. I'm like, look, this is the best thing that you can do. Give up your one week vacation from work and give me a couple hundred dollars, all right? And come with me to the beach and don't sleep and help me watch these crazy kids. And um, on this particular trip, there was about 40 teenagers and 30 of them were boys, all right? And so I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is the craziest thing I've ever done. I need to convince like a strong man, a strong leader to come with me on this trip. And so I'm looking around the church and, and, and I find this one leader who's never been on a trip with me before. And I walk up to him. It's Miguel Navarro. Anybody know Miguel Navarro? I think I just saw Miguel Navarro raise his hand and say he knows who Miguel Navarro is. Um, and so uh, Miguel Navarro is actually engaged to my sister Cookie and they're... They're getting married in a couple of weeks, um, but not back then. And, and, and so um, I convinced him to come, and he comes with me. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be easy because now there's an older guy coming with me that people, there's going to demand respect with like a military background and stuff. And um, so we get to camp. He's driving a bus. I'm driving a bus. Someone else is driving another bus. We check in. Kids are like, man, they're like amped up, like so excited to be there. That night, they go to sleep super late. And next morning, we're at breakfast. And, um, you know, I, I'm pretty strict when I go to camp. I'm, like, real fun. But when I go to camp, I'm, like, strict because I have a lot of people, people's lives in my hand. And, and so all the leaders had to be somewhere at a certain time to eat breakfast. And so I'm eating breakfast, and all the kids are there. All my leaders are there. And I'm wondering, where's Miguel? You know, I can't find Miguel. And I'm like, man, did this guy stay asleep? I mean, what a loser. I bring him here to come you know, and help me. I'm thinking this guy's going to be my backbone. The guy's not here. And all of a sudden, Miguel walks into the breakfast hall with these little short shorts and a tank top. And I'm thinking, dude, what are you wearing? You're breaking all the rules that I wrote on this paper. And I'm like, where were you, man? He's like, oh, I woke up at six o'clock and I went jogging. He's, and then he looks at me in the face, dead in the eyes. He's like, you should come with me tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't believe this guy's like putting me out like this. You know, in front of all these kids that look up to me, you know, I'm a role model to them. And I'm thinking, man, six o'clock is, is just too early. He's like, all right, 6.30. And so all the kids are looking at me. I'm like, all right, man, you know, I'll go with you, you know, show off. And, uh, and so um, I agreed to go on this thing. And, and we, we spent all day with watching the kids, having fun. We had a great time. You know, and you know when you go to the beach, you're like really tired, right? And that night, the kids weren't tired. I mean, they were up all night. They pulled every prank out of the book. I finally fall asleep around 2 um, a.m. And as I'm laying in my bed, trying to pass out, I'm like, <gasps> Miguel's going to call me at 6.30 to go jogging. And so I turn my phone off. I'm like, oh, he's not going to get me. I turn my cell phone off. And then I unhook the phone in the room. And so at 6.30, Miguel's trying to wake me up. Straight to voicemail. You've reached Mark Rodriguez. in the air. And then my room's busy. But here's the thing. Some of the kids heard that I was going to go because they were all there. And so at 6.30 in the morning or 6.29, it was like the end of the world in my room. They're like banging on my door. Ba, 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 ba. Ba, 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 ba. 
And I look at my at the clock and I'm like, it's 6.30. They're waking me up to go jogging. And so I get up and I'm getting ready and they're like, hey, you weren't going to come home. I'm like, no, no, I was just getting ready, man, you know. You know, as I wipe the, the eye boogers off of my eyes. And so we're walking over there and, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret that some of you probably are going to freak out when I say this, but I haven't been on a jog for a really long time. All right, and so I'm walking over to the beach, and, and when I get there, Miguel's there, like stretching out, like a like a like a Olympic gymnast, and I'm like, what a show off, man, you know? So I'm, if he can stretch out, I can stretch out, and I, you know, I'm like stretching out, you know, I'm doing all my stuff, too, you know, shaking it off, and uh, and then we all get on this line, and, and they're like, all right, let's go, and everybody starts walking really fast, and I'm thinking, oh, I could walk fast, and so I'm walking fast too, you know, and all of a sudden they're like, all right, let's go, and they take off running. And I'm like, no. And so I'm like, ah, I can do it too. And, and I start running too. I start running after them. You know, I'm a little behind. And like 30, maybe 45 minutes, I mean seconds into this, I'm freaking out. I'm like, what's happening to me? What's happening to my body? I, I stop. And I'm catching my breath. And as I'm catching my breath, I see my hotel. And I'm like, they're now like 30 feet in front of me. I could just like sneak back into my room, take my shoes off and go back to sleep. The sun's not even up. Right, but, but I didn't do that. I caught my breath and I'm like, if I quit, these guys will never let me live it down. They'll be making fun of me for the rest of the week. And so I finished, I mean, I look like an old lady from South Beach running, but I finished, I finished, I finished the race. You see, sometimes in our life, we've all had moments when we were going through something that we wanted to quit. We were going through a moment in our life and we just felt like, man, this isn't worth it. Or we've probably thought, why is this happening to me? And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our series, Inside Out, a study through the book of Romans. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to please open to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you stop there and give me your attention, I don't know about you, but I read that and that gets me excited. I'm like, wow, now this is something to be happy about. The Apostle Paul is telling us here, you have been justified. You have been made right. All of your mistakes, all of your shame has been washed away. Now you have peace with God. Not only do you have peace with God, but you have access to God through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when I was little, I, I grew up going to a church and a school that they would hand out these baseball card looking things with these old men on it wearing robes and, and little halos and beards. And, and when you were going through a tough time, on the back of that card, there's this little prayer that you would pray so that this old man could talk to God on your behalf. Let me tell you something. If you believe in Jesus, He's all that you need. I want you to repeat this with me. Jesus is all that I need. Jesus is all that I need. It's a filling in your outline. Write that down. Jesus is all that I need. Not only is Jesus all that you need, Jesus gives me direct access to God. You don't need a saint. You don't need a lucky charm. You don't need a, a lucky rabbit's foot or a Turkish eye or un azabache. 
All of those things are tools that the devil uses from, for, for you to keep you from having direct communication with God. The Apostle Paul is also telling you to be happy that you have access to God. Because for thousands of years, when people needed to talk to God, when people were going through a tough time, they couldn't just cry out to God. They had to go to God through another person. Let's pick it up in verse 3. It says, And not only on that, don't only be happy that now you have access to God. Don't only be happy because you have been justified. But we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It says glory and tribulation. In another translation it says rejoice in suffering. It's easy to be excited about the good news we got in the first two verses. We got some really good news in those two verses. The first two verses tell us be happy because now you've been forgiven. Glory because you have access to God. But now in verse 3 it says don't just glory in the good days. You got to have glory in tribulation. Rejoice and suffering. What? What does that mean? I mean, when I hear that, it's like you're driving a car in automatic, you slam on the brakes. Ah! And you know, when I, when I read something in the Bible that just doesn't make sense to me in, in my mind, the way that I process things, it's not really part of my culture. Whenever I read stuff that's hard to swallow, I want to dig deeper. I want to know who's saying it. How does Paul know this to be true? Don't you agree? I mean, when we hear news that just doesn't sit well, we question the messenger. I mean, is this person credible? How do they know this? I don't want to get news from tabloids. I want to go to a credible and reliable source. Do any of you have a friend that's like a know-it-all? I mean, regardless of the situation that you're having, all right? There's a little girl raising her hand and looking at her dad. I don't know what, what that means, but some of you have a friend or something. He knows it all. All right, I promise. Some of you probably know someone that just knows it all. You try to talk about anything and they just take control of the situation, take control of the conversation. I know someone like this and it drives me crazy. And I'll give you an example of, of something he, he does. Let's say we're at a park or something and, and we're hanging out and all of a sudden an airplane flies by. And he's like, wait a minute, that's a 747. The Boeing 747, it's a wide-body commercial airliner and cargo transport, often referred to by its original nickname, Jumbo Jet, or Queen of the Skies. It's among one of the world's most recognizable aircrafts. It has a high-bypass turbofan engine. And, and I hear that, and I'm like, where's this coming from? Like, I mean, how random is this? Not only is it random, it's annoying, because I'm not even sure he's even ever been on a 747. Alright? The only reason that he knows this is because he read it on a magazine, or he read it in a book, or he read it in the internet, or he spends way too much time watching the History Channel. Alright? And, and I have no problems with books. I, I love reading books. I, I, I love the internet. I mean, the History Channel, that's for nerds, but that's another topic. When I get information, I want it from people that have lived it. I want it from people with experience. People that are living it. I have a friend in Miami, we call people like him, un balsero, right? And in English, that would be a rafter. And uh, this friend of mine was tired of Fidel Castro, all right? And he jumped on an inner tube, and he risked his life in pursuit of freedom. And when I found out that he was a balsero, I said, please, tell me the stories. 
Tell me about the sharks. Is the stuff that I've read, is the stuff that I've heard on the news, is it true? Are they dead bodies floating in the water when you were on your way here? Talk to me about the sunburn. Talk to me about the dehydration. And we talked for hours and I salivated, as he told me, story after story. This guy lived it. When the Apostle Paul tells us here in the book of Romans, glory and tribulation, rejoice in your suffering, man, it's because he lived it. Tribulation was this guy's middle name. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 27, Paul says this, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Stop there for a second. All right, he got beat, he got whipped 39 times by the Jews. Five times, all right? Most men would die after one of these beatings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And not like some of you have been stoned, but stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. When Paul says these words under the direction of the Holy Spirit, we need to stop in our tracks. And pay attention. Because what he's saying has weight. What he's saying has value. This man is speaking from experience. What Paul's telling us, it doesn't really make sense to us. It's not the way that we're wired to ration about stuff. That's not how we deal with problems. The reality is this, that that every single one of us in this room, everybody here, at one point or another, has gone through a trial. Can I get an amen? Amen. We've all had times in our life when we've wanted to quit, when we've wanted to hang our gloves and just say, man, this just isn't for me. Why is this happening to me? We've probably even questioned God and said, God, why me? We've all had moments in our life, situations when you wanted to quit the same way that I wanted to quit that morning on the beach. And you see, what we have to do today is we've got to answer a question. And the question is this, how do we overcome tribulation? How do we overcome tribulation? And the first way that we overcome tribulation is we've got to stop complaining. We've got to stop complaining. When we're going through a tough time, we've just got to stop. And the reason that that doesn't make sense to us is because our natural reaction when trouble comes our way is to be like this. When trouble, when trouble comes our way, we're acting like a little baby, crying and complaining about everything. And I know about babies crying and complaining about things that don't make sense, okay? I have two nieces that are one, all right, from a sister and a sister-in-law. And for some crazy reason that I don't understand, every single time they see me, they start crying. I I don't understand that because usually when I walk into a room, I light it up. All right? But but when these girls see me, it's like, "Ah!" and they freak out. And I'm like, it's me, Theo Mark, you know? And, And they don't care who it is. Every time they see me, they cry. And when we're dealing with stuff in our life, we don't act in the way that 
We need to act. We're not glorying in the tribulation. We're, we're acting like babies. And, and maybe we're not crying, but we're saying stuff like, this just isn't right. Life isn't supposed to be this way. I don't deserve it. This isn't fair. This makes my life meaningless. And nowadays, people don't only whine, like, to your face. Now, whining and complaining has become viral. Alright? It's on the internet. Alright, people are on Facebook. I would love to see the Apostle Paul's reaction to some people's Facebook status. Or to what people are putting up on Twitter. You know, feeling sorry about themselves. Complaining. You know what the Bible says about complaining in Philippians 2? It says, do everything without complaining. He didn't say, hey, you know, but when you're doing that, you know, it's okay. It makes sense. You can complain about that. No. Do everything without complaining. And here's the thing, all kidding aside, this doesn't mean that now you're a Christian and you're going through a difficult time and now you're, you're stoic. You know, you're like, oh, you know, the world's falling apart. I can't be sad because I'm a Christian. No. That's not, that's not even what it means to be Christian. Yeah, there's going to be times in your life that, that you're going to be sad. Times in your life when, when you're upset. You don't have to pretend that it's not happening. Paul's not saying that we rejoice even though we're suffering. It says we rejoice, we glory in suffering. Christians, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to hurt. The Bible tells us that when Job was struck down physically, his health was gone, his children were gone, all of his money and possessions were wiped away. Everything that he knew, everything that he had was gone and the Bible teaches us that he ripped his clothes off and fell to the ground. And the Bible says in all these things, Job sinned not. Job sinned not. You know what Job does in that moment when everything that he knows is gone and he falls to the ground? He's surrendering to God and saying, God, you know what? Not my will, but your will be done. God, I, I trust you. You're all that I have. You see, the reason that most of us have never experienced glory and tribulation is because of the complaining. We love feeling sorry about ourselves. We love the attention that it gives us. We love the fact that when we put something on our Facebook or put something up on our Twitter, we get all these responses like, oh, don't feel that way. Oh, it's okay. I love you. Oh, why do you say that? Why do you talk like that? We love that attention. And there's so much noise going on in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our tribulation that we don't hear the voice of God. We don't have time to listen to what God is trying to tell us in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our test. Number one, we need to stop complaining. And the second thing we need to do is we need to trust God. We need to trust God. Regardless of what's going on in your life, you need to put your hope and your trust in the Lord. We need to do what Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. God said this in Psalm 46. You know what? You're going through a tough time. Just stop. Just stop. And know that I am God. We need to understand that, that God is greater. God is stronger, like we sang earlier. We need to really believe that if our God is for us, who could stand against us? As believers, as people that love God, we need to stop just singing songs and, and memorizing the Bible and not applying it to our life. And these songs are real. The things that we read in God's Word are alive. And the reason that we do this stuff is so that we could remember 
In times of trouble, in times of trial, the God that we serve, the mighty God that we serve. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, Paul is with Silas in the city of Philippi. And while they were there, man, they're casting out demons. Everywhere they go, they're talking about Jesus. And these people don't believe in Jesus. This is a bunch of pagan people that don't believe in God. And they're getting mad at what these guys are doing. And they go up to the rulers and the judges and the people that are in charge. And they're like, man, these guys are, are talking bad about what we believe in. These guys are talking against our rituals and stuff. And so they grab Paul and Silas, throw them in the middle of where everybody is. They rip their clothes off and they begin to beat them with rods. And hold it, that, that's not it. Then they're sent to prison. And it's not it. When they get to prison, they're like, you know what? Send them to the innermost cell. Send them to the deepest pit in this prison. And let me talk to you about that prison. It's not like the prisons that, that we know today with air conditioning and weightlifting. You know, you see guys coming out of prison. They're all buffed up. There's no TVs. This is not a place for you to get your GED because you didn't do good in, in, in high school. This place was a dungeon. They were shackled at the ankles. People were sent here to die. There were no bathrooms. So if you needed to go to the bathroom, you know where you had to go? Right where you were standing. And Peter and Silas, remember, they were stripped naked. So here are these guys, butt naked, standing in the middle of this dark, cold prison, tied to the ground with rusted shackles, probably standing on a few inches of other people's waist. These guys are there. They're bloody because they just got the life beat out of them. They're tired. And I'm sure they feel like giving up. And all of this happens, not because they broke the law or robbed something. This happens because they were spreading the word of God. And in the middle of all of this, they didn't complain. They didn't say, God, why me? You know what they did? They rejoiced in their suffering. They trusted God. See, this is what this entire series is about. The whole time I've been up here, it says inside out. These guys, their flesh was hurting. They were bleeding, ribs probably broken. They were, in the, they were smelling stuff that they probably had never smelled before. They were uncomfortable. But the Bible teaches that despite what was happening around them, from the inside out, they began singing to God. They began worshiping God. And I'm sure their songs filled that entire jail. And they're like, oh, we know why those guys are down there. It's because they're lunatics. Okay, because everyone saw as there were two bloody bodies dragged to the innermost cell in that prison. And now from that innermost cell, worship is coming to God. A thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fails, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. In the middle of that cell, I don't know if they were singing that song, but they were singing something that was bringing glory to God, that was making God happy because Acts 16, 26 says this, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. In the middle of their trial, they gave glory to God. In the middle of that terrible place, God got glory. And they had no idea what was going to go on, but there, you know what? We're going to worship God. And God showed up in the very same way that God can show up in your life. 
We need to glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Another word for perseverance is patience. And I'm sure a lot of you are always saying, man, I just need a little more patience. If I could have more patience with her. If I could have more patience with him. If I could have more patience with these kids that are driving me nuts. We want more patience. You know, patience comes through trials. If we stop complaining, you develop patience. And then once you develop patience, patience produces character. And isn't a patient person, a person of character, someone that we look up to, someone that we admired? Last time I remember, no one looks up to the guy that's behind you at the light, and it turns green, and point one second after it turns green, beep, 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 beep. No one's thinking like, man, that's someone I want to be like. That guy's awesome. Nobody's thinking that. But then we see someone that's collected, someone that's patient, someone of character, and we're like, I want to be like that. I want what he's God. See, Paul and Silas, they waited on God. And not only did they wait on God because they knew that God was going to do something, they waited on God because these guys knew the word of God as well. These guys had chunks of the Bible memorized in their memory. The word of God gives us power. The word of God gives us strength in our times of trouble. And I'm sure that the words of Isaiah in chapter 40 came to their mind while they were in that prison And it says this, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's incredible. Wait on God. Trust in the Lord and he will renew your strength. You will mount up on wings as eagles. Regardless of what's going on, you will have the power that God gives you to overcome that situation. You won't faint. And I know what fainting feels like because I almost passed out that morning on the beach. We need to stop complaining. We need to trust God. And then you know what we need to do? We need to allow these situations to transform us. Let it transform you. Let it transform you. After that experience, you think Paul and Silas were ever the same? No. Those guys were never the same. They had no idea what God was going to do. They could have easily died in that dungeon, but that moment transformed them forever. We can't just go through our problems and say, Oof, I'm glad that went by and I hope it never happens again. Or I'm never going to do that because I never want that to happen again. Or I hope this doesn't happen to me again. And we're just like hoping that it's just over and we want to forget about it. You know what? Don't forget about it. Let that thing transform you. Let it change you from the inside out. Let it make you strong. Let it give you strength. You know, one thing I, I know to be true, because uh, a couple times in my life, I've had accidents in my car. All right, you crash your car, your car is all bent out of shape. You take it to the body shop. What does the body shop do to that banged up car? They start hitting it some more. And they start putting that fender or that door back into shape. And then after they do that, they buff it and sparks are coming out. And then they put primer, they paint it, and then they put it in an oven. And they heat that puppy up. And then when it comes out, it looks just like the day you bought it. It looks beautiful. It looks brand new. And you know what? Some of you here today are probably experiencing something like that. And you're wondering, why am I in pain? Why am I hurting? Why am I going through these things? And you know what? God is doing work in your life. Glory in it. So that when you come out, you are a different person. Let it transform you. Don't give up. The world wants you to give up. Your friends are telling you, just give up on him. Just give up on her. Forget it. That's the way life is. 
The Bible says this, Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Stop doing what the world does. Because that's what the world does. Marriage is rocky. I'm going to find another one. Your kids are going nuts. Oh, you know what? They're 18 years old. Let them raise themselves. You're having problems with your boss at work. I'm just going to quit and find another job. That's what the world tells you to do. To give up. To stop talking to your friends. To stop trying to work on your marriage. The world tells you to give up. And the Bible tells us don't conform to the patterns of the world. But what does it say? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way that this sinful thing wants to think. And then you will be able, then once you do that, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, uh, I'm going to admit, I, I really didn't love school that much. But I didn't like it so much that I wanted to get out of it and graduate. And if I failed the test, I had to take it again. If I didn't pass something, I had to try to pass it again. And life is the same way. We all know people that, man, they're always going. It's almost like, you know, they never get out of it. They never, never get out of it. They're always struggling in the same thing, in the same thing. And it's because they're not giving God the glory in that thing. They're not overcoming that because they're complaining. They're not trusting in God. They're not letting that thing change them. And guys, that's not what God wants for you. That's not what I want for you this morning. The reason that I'm sharing everything that I'm sharing is because I want this group of people to walk out of here and be living in victory with Christ because that's what you were created to live in. And the victory that God gave us on the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ. That's what this entire verse is about. God doesn't want us to live defeated lives. You know what God wants? God wants people to look at you and say, man... A couple months ago, I know they were going through the toughest thing that anyone could ever go through. And look at them now. Look how strong they are. Look how happy they are. They look better than ever. We've all seen someone like that. That's what God designed you to be. And imagine at work, people are like, oh, I know that she was going through that. And, and I don't know what happened, but look how happy she is. Why, why is she like that? And, you know, you don't have to evangelize at work by being like a, a ninja evangelist with your pockets full of tracks. And when people go to the bathroom, you're like, let me throw that one there. Let me throw that one there. You know what? Just walking the halls of your job, living life the way that Christ designed you to live it is the biggest example, the biggest testament of Jesus Christ than you could ever be. And it doesn't mean that you don't share your faith. It just means that the way that we live should reflect who God is and who we were designed to be. You know, a couple years ago, I went through the most difficult trial, the most difficult moment that I could have ever gone in my entire life. The hardest thing I've ever experienced. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And you know what? God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't do what I wanted to do. And yeah, there were moments when I was like, God, please, just, just please, just answer this one thing and I'll never ask you for anything again. And you know what? He didn't do it. And at the end of it all, I wasn't defeated. I didn't go crazy. I didn't lock myself in a room and feel sorry for myself. You know what happened at the end? I became a better person. I became a better husband. I became a better father. I became a better friend. I became a better pastor. 
A couple of weeks ago, I'm talking to a couple in the halls here of our church, and they're telling me about something that they're going through, this medical problem that one of them has. And they were about to go get this crazy procedure done, and as they're talking to me, they're like straight-faced, just sharing what's going on in their life. I'm like, tears are coming down my face. Going through this trial in my life allowed me to love people more, to care about people more, to understand pain more. Let your situation transform you. Let your tribulation transform you. The Bible says glory and tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. After that trial's over, now you have character. And your character produces hope. Next time you're going through a difficult time, you have hope. You know what God can do. You've seen what God can do. You've experienced what God can do because you've lived it. Another thing we need to do is sometimes just stop and realize that there's other people in the world. There's other people around us, people that we know that are hurting more than we are, that are going through even more difficult things than we are going through. And man, get perspective. And if that's not enough, in your time of trial, in your time of tribulation, think of Jesus. Think of the cross. Think of what He endured for you. Think of all the pain and all the shame that He took on being perfect because He loved us, because He wanted to give us direct access to God when we did not deserve it. See, maybe you're here today and you're going through a difficult moment in your life. Man, you're struggling like maybe you've never struggled before. Maybe it's something in your marriage, something with your kids. Maybe it's something at work or you lost your job. I mean, something crazy is happening in your life right now. And yeah, you feel like giving up or you have no idea where the help is going to come from. You have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And you're here today and you're like, man, all I've done is complain. or I haven't really trusted in God. I've been, I've been trusting in my friends. You know what? Today is the perfect day to ask God to enter and, and receive the glory in that situation that you're in. And in just a moment, George is going to come out here. The lights are going to come down and and we're going to have communion. And one of the things we've been talking about is is just giving God the glory. Giving Him the glory in good times. Giving Him the glory in bad times. And giving Him the glory when the bad times are over. And communion is is a simple word for fellowship. We're going to have fellowship with God. We're going to have fellowship with each other. And as you go back to your seats, after you get the elements, I mean... Pray. If you're here with your husband, you're here with your wife, pray with them. If you're here with a friend, pray with them. Just pray and ask God if you're going through a tough time to intervene. Or man, if you know someone that's going through a tough time, pray for them, lift them up. That's what this time is about. As we rejoice in what, what the bread and the, and the wine represents, it's, it's the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I believe that today God's going to do some amazing things if we just allow Him, if we trust Him, if we humble ourselves the same way that Job did in the middle of that disaster, humbled himself. Just like Paul and Silas in the middle of that prison cell, he began to worship. That's what we're going to do now as as George sings. I mean, cry out to God. Maybe you don't even have words to pray, but just worship God and give Him the glory and He will will show up and the ground will shake 
and the chains will be broken and those prison doors will be opened if we worship, if we trust God, if we believe. As we partake in communion this morning, Jesus said that when we do this, let's remember Him. He said, remember me when you do this. And I want to meditate in the rest of Romans 5, picking up in verse 6. It says, when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, what this cup represents, the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are now reconciled with God. For a long time we were not even friends with God, but because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can call God friend. We can call upon God. We have access to God. We have been justified through the body of Jesus Christ. Let's partake in the bread together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Because you were bruised for us. You were whipped for us. You were nailed to a cross for us, ridiculed for my sin, for my shame. Let's grab the cup. We read that we were justified by his blood, made right by his blood that was shed on the cross. Let's thank Jesus for his sacrifice and let's partake in the cup together. Thank you, God. Thank you because you sent Christ to die in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us access to God. To give it, giving us reconciliation with God. Give us strength to glory in times of trouble. We're human. We fail. We make mistakes. But give us the strength that we need to overcome, to live the life that you designed us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Praise God.